from Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis might be more fascist than Donald Trump and just a little bit smarter. It's not necessarily, oh, we're going to have a civil war in soon, but I'm just saying, if you look at that statistic there, it shows just because the civil war is, is over doesn't mean that animosity just goes away, or you automatically were like, yeah, we were wrong. Hey, I'm so sorry. Yeah, we were wrong. This is the Snap Up, where each week, Tim Costello and Scott Barzilla help you digest their favorite stories from the world of sports and politics. The, the history books have gotten away with a lot of the bad things that we've done as society because they were non-Christian nations. And just like the dreaded Snap Up, don't be surprised when start bringing you over to the left side of the fairway. Back in the good old days, you could have gotten a job doing just about anything if you sat there and said, I have a college degree. But now, that's not the case. So we're going to sit there, we're going to back on these kids, we're going to sit there and say, you're going to owe, you know, thousands of dollars of debt. And in many cases, some of them pay for maybe twenty or $30,000 they borrow. They might pay two or three hundred thousand dollars in their lifetime with all the competitive interest. And now here are your hackers of the week, Tim Costello and Scott Barzilla. Welcome back into the Snap Hook. Tim Costello joined as always with Scott Barzilla. What a week it has been, Scott. It has, uh, you know, we we talk about scumbags every week, and you know there are just plenty of good candidates every single week. It's it's getting bountiful. It's getting close to election time, so um, you know people, in order to make a statement, are going to make asses out of themselves um, from both parties, but but really uh, more specifically in in our show from the Republican side of things are gonna. Do some stupid things. You're going to say some stupid things. You're going to try and enact some stupid laws. Um, and it's it's going to be a frustrating next year, realistically, and, until the next election. I think, I think uh, I don't know if you ever watched South Park, but, uh, you know, we're, we're voting between a douche and a turd here again. Oh, yes. That was, I remember that was a classic episode uh, where Stan gets banished, and it was actually the PETA people who, uh, you know, let uh, – who were the voice of reason in that one, which is kind of odd. Unfortunately, we haven't watched a lot of South Park lately. You know, we, we, we have the other 16 year old at home and we're just trying to kind of, uh, I guess, shelter her from that as long as we possibly can. You know, I, I was pretty sheltered as a kid growing up on, on the television. I was allowed to watch. My mom didn't let me watch the Simpsons for the longest time and stuff like that. And, um, you know, personally, like growing up now, I, I wish I would have. Uh, simply because, like, I, I just feel like when I got out into the world of college and, and on my own, I, I just I didn't have a realistic view of the world. You know, I didn't get those um, those other outside thoughts and opinions of what's going on, right? Like, now I'm at the point when something crazy happens in society, I can't wait to see how the guys on South Park handle it. I can't wait to see what they do with it. You know, they had an Andrew Tate episode on recently that was that was pretty hilarious. And so... Um, you know, I, I think sometimes it's, a, it's nice to, to let other people kind of break down how some, how outrageous some of the, how, some of the things we deal with in society are like, let's look at it through the prism of 
uh, third graders and, and have a look at it again. You know, like um, when, when Trump started running, they, they used Mr. Garrison uh, as, as Trump, right? And so now Mr. Garrison's back to teaching and he's living a normal life. He's got a gay life partner and they take a trip to South Carolina um, just for vacation and they pass a MAGA store and like they have all the pictures of them and people recognize them and they're trying to get them to come in and um and it's just fantastic as you watch him like drift back into the trump character basically saying the things that trump is saying now as he's uh trying to run for office again it was it was a fantastic episode and, and it just helps you look at the absurdity of all of it um when you look at it as this guy who has had a sex change back and forth who is outwardly gay and is running as let's kill all mexicans you know like that is that is the south park way of looking at the absurdity Although it was the Canadians in that, you know, first episode you referenced where he eventually comes out as, you know, the Trump-like character. Uh, yeah, that, that was still, we were still watching at that point. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, because we've seen promos, but we didn't actually watch the, the series when they moved into the future. Did Cartman actually become a rabbi? I didn't I didn't see the that one because it was on a different – with all these damn streaming – sites right like south park most of their episodes go on the hbo but then the the that specific special was on paramount plus and so i uh i didn't get to see that one so i, I know you mentioned you know the next year how crazy things are in politics and i, I wonder you know there are several other countries that uh that limit the election season to maybe two or three months you know is that something you'd like us to see us do here you know, or we could uh, you know, condense everything down, or do you think that's just an impossibility? I think at this point we've we've gone past that point. Um, I, I think Donald Trump has turned it into a year. Like from the moment he lost, he started running again for twenty twenty four. Like literally, he he like on the way out the door said, "I'll be back in twenty twenty four. and he's never stopped saying that. He's been holding rallies, he's been holding fundraisers this whole time. Um, and in today's world of politics, right, money makes such a huge difference. The size of your war chest really, really matters. So if the other side is, is running from the moment that the other election ends and they've got four years to build that war chest, you've got to do the same thing. And now here we go. It's an arms race. And so I, I think the cat's out the bag on that one. I would like it. Like I, I don't get inundated with a lot of political ads per se because I don't watch I don't watch much like live television. You know, my wife and I have Hulu with no ads. Um, I listen to podcasts and I skip ahead on the ads. You know, I just I don't um, I don't subject myself to a lot of advertising per se. I I you know bring in content to myself from Twitter and see the acidity of all of it. But other than that, I, I really do try and stay away from seeing those stupid political this ad endorsed by Greg Abbott. No, I, we, we, um, I think we're Trump or I see Trump. He, I mean, everything with him is a grift. And so I think a lot of this I'm running is just his way of, you know, bilking those people for as, as much time, you know, as much money as he possibly can. If you look at the, uh, you know, traditional folks, right. I mean, Ron DeSantis still hasn't declared. I mean, we think he's running, 
but he hasn't declared. There, there's some, you know, kind of legal mechanisms in Florida that are probably you know, responsible for that. But I don't know if you you saw that. Uh, you know, former Governor Rick Perry is you know kind of throwing his hat into the ring. Uh, gosh, you know, God love him. Uh, but I, you know, most of those other folks, I think, are still caught in that traditional timeline. So I think Trump is still unique and I don't know if things, I don't know if things go back to normal when he finally leaves the seat. That's, that's kind of what I, uh, what I'm wondering if, you know, I think, I think the GOP is secretly rooting and, and, and that's, the, that's the, the sad part of his existence is that how sad it must be for people to secretly wish you'll die. Because I, I think that's where I think that's where it's at. I think you know everybody in the GOP probably thinks they wish he would die. I think his own children actually you know probably wish he would die. Just you know so you know they could go on with whatever lives that they have, uh, meager as they are. I think that's pretty fair, right? Because I, I feel at this point that's the only way he's going away. You know, he his ego is much too large for him to accept a world where he's not president again. He, he just clearly cannot live in a world where he doesn't win that office back. Like he is literally Muhammad Ali in his mind. Oh, I'm going to fight and get my title back. And these people took it away from me wrong. Cause I wouldn't go to the Vietnam war and I'm going to get my title back. Like in his, in his deranged, his little, little mind, he had his presidency wrongfully taken away. He's going to fight to get it back. And there's no way for it to stop. Um, there's no way he stops. And so I think you're right as far as the best the best outcome for the Republican Party and for America as a whole would be a cardiac event of some sort. But realistically, you know, the odds somehow these bastards just live longer than everybody else. So yeah, we've talked about a lot about modern bastards. Uh, and, and last week we, we touched on, you know, colonialism you know, kind of from, from Columbus up until World War One, we kind of finished off with a quick kind of, you know, look at uh, how, you know, World War One kind of impacted colonialism. And so to promise, you know, to, to fulfill the promise that we've made, we're going to kind of take you from World War One to the present time and kind of, you know, look at issues and how, how colonialism is affecting the current age. So let, let's hit the rewind button. Back to World War One. Let's see where we're at. And really, Scott, I wanted to, to say one more thing too before we even got to that. Is I one of the things I want to differentiate. I, I was listening back through our episode last week. Is I want to make sure people understood there was a difference between um, you know what the Spanish and Portuguese started, what English you know crown and French crown really took to new extremes, and were versus what say the Romans did, right? Which was the conquering of territory just to have people paying taxes back to the king, you know, and that, and, or the Roman emperor, you know, at those times, it wasn't about changing your culture. It wasn't about bending to the, uh, the way of life of, of the country that took you over or exploiting your resources. It was just more about you're Roman. Now, uh, you go by our laws and, uh, you owe us this much money per year. We'll see you to collect it. Uh, and so I, I did want to differentiate that, uh, aspect of it before we continue to talk about the effects. So I think those two those two things specifically lead to different effects, right? There were certainly effects of the amount of land that the Roman Empire took over and, you know, the, the stretch of Catholicism and things like that. But that's a whole different discussion for another day because what they did was different than colonial, uh, you know, colonization. 
and, and I want to make sure we made that clear before we kind of got into the the effects part of, of the history lesson that we took in last week. Uh, I think you're on the money there, and I th- and I remember making some kind of a point that you know probably wasn't strong enough. But when the when the Romans took somebody over, like we know, for those people who have studied you know their Bible, for instance, they know that you know eventually Israel is taken over by the Romans. They're allowed to remain Jewish. Uh, the Roman Empire allows them to continue uh, with their religion, continue with their practices. As long as you paid your taxes to Caesar, you know, that was fine. I think, you know, and, and that's a huge differing point because obviously when we come over to the new world, not only are we, we taking all the resources, but you're Catholic now. Or in the case of, you know, when England comes over, we're going to try to, you know, and it, it's, it's hilarious when they sit there, we talk about the pilgrims, you know, how they wanted religious freedom. Well, they wanted freedom from Britain's form of religion. They didn't really want religious freedom here. I mean, they they wanted to do just as you know many draconian things here as they did there. It's just they weren't allowed to do that there because they didn't have the power, you know, of the king and or the queen. And so, you know, there we are. So, yeah, we're 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 Native Americans. We're converting to Catholicism. You know, that's why so much of, you know, Central New Mexico, Central America and South America are Catholic you know, because of, you know, Spain and Portugal's influence. Um, and, and also, you know, we, we we try to do that in Africa, too. I don't know that they, we, they were quite as successful at that, you know. I, I don't uh, know. I feel like I feel like in today's world, a good majority of the Catholic priests are, are a good chunk, maybe not majority, but a lot of parents I go to have at least put one priest from an African missionary. Like it's. A lot of the priesthood comes from Africa. Oh, sure. Yeah, we, and we both came from St. Bernadette, so we both remember Father Reuben, uh, yeah. who uh, stayed there. So it's not that they were completely unsuccessful, but I think that, you know, if you just look at the totality of it, I mean, they're they're wiping the Aztecs, the Incas, and, uh, and the Mayans off the face of the earth. And so those people, you know, we're just – you know, virtually a hundred percent, you know, Christian, which is what I find hilarious, you know, just as an aside, you know, when people talk about how, um, you know, we don't, there's not enough God in, in, in America. When you look at North America and South America, at its core, is so overwhelmingly Christian, particularly when you compare it with Western Europe now. Uh, Western Europe, like if you were to judge uh, religious or religiosity based on, you know, some like church attendance or, you know, whatever, however you want to measure fervor, you're talking like 15, 20% of the population. Whereas here in the United States, it's like maybe 50%. Uh, and then, in, you know, in Central South America, Mexico, we're talking well over 50%. So I think from that standpoint, I think that uh, they they certainly tried and, and achieved a lot of conversion in Africa. But I think on the whole, they were just a whole lot more successful in Mexico, Central America, and South America. No, you're definitely, you're definitely right there. The, the numbers are, are much more lasting for sure in, in those areas as well where um there's still a large portions of 
Christianity, you know, in, in the black community, but especially I think once they got here to America as well, um, you know, the, the black specific churches and the, and the black church movement associated with the, um, you know, freedom and the civil rights movement, it, it really broke away from the establishment churches that, that white Americans went to. And, and, and like many other aspects of, of American society, you know, they were black specific churches. And so those those grew in that way. So and they grew away from Catholicism. Uh, so you're, you're definitely right there. But let's kind of take a little bit look more at, at some of the other, you know, uh, uh, lasting effects of, of colonialism that we're still dealing with today besides just religion. Because I think that's definitely one, as we mentioned, was the spread of Christianity. Um, you know, not only did, did the, the colonists bring their, uh, you know, their their livelihood with them, they brought their beliefs. And so they brought Christianity to America. They brought Christianity to South America. They brought it to Africa um, and, and it was spread. But, you know, one of the things that we really started to deal with because of colonialism was, you know, we mentioned it last week, was the idea of race. And, you know, the, and really what I like to think of as, you know, it, not a good thing, but the idea of race science, right? Where, um, you know, there's a hierarchy of races and, you know, the white people are at the top and then, you know, the Asian people were right below them because they were like not as dark and they could handle this. And then, you know, after that, it was, you know, the South American population and then you had the, you know, Middle Eastern population and then you had the, you know, the African countries and things like that. And that was this whole formula that they, they put together. And it's it's something that we don't reference today but it still affects the way that society runs and it still affects how, how things get done in this country and it affects beliefs that people had based on the fact that people who had never seen anyone other than an Englishman before see somebody who looks different and, and that doesn't speak their language. And like, oh, they're clearly not as smart as I am and they can't handle a leadership position. They're more of a grunt worker. And, and that started because, you know, 800 years ago, some idiot made an observation in his notebook. You know, one of the sad things I think about modern culture, and, uh, and, and I, this is kind of just somewhat related to what you were talking about, but what reminded me uh, is, I don't know if you've ever caught old, old clips of Saturday Night Live, like from the 70s. Yeah. Uh, so I remember what they, they did this one talk show where they brought in this, you know, quote unquote anthropologist and he just came out and said, light skinned blacks are smarter than dark skinned blacks. And, you know, you watch that today and you're like, there is no way in hell anybody could, you know, get away with, you know, making a joke like that. I remember the, you know, they had the, uh, the, uh, the skits where, uh, Eddie Murphy was an undercover white man, you know, as a black guy, you know, going undercover as a white guy and trying to see what would happen, you know, and you, but yeah, yeah, you're, but kind of to tie that into the point you're making is that those are things that we're not allowed to say anymore, but I think people are thinking them. And so what happens is when you drive those things underground, it's kind of what happens with the you know, political correctness is when you drive these things underground, you're not getting rid of it. You're just, it's not out there in front of everybody. 
I think what we, I think the two things we talked about last week that I think are very, very important, I think are that, that issue that you just brought up with race and ethnicity. But I think the other thing is we, we just mentioned just a few minutes ago was the taking of resources. I think that is just the overwhelming thing when you look at all, you know, at the effects of colonialization moving forward, because these countries are going to be, or, or these people are, they're going to be revolting against their colonizers. They become an independent country, but what do they have, you know, in terms of resources to be able to make it? And the study of economics, purely, if you look at the definition, is how do we distribute scarce resources just like for instance you know you look at houses tim and i live in a house there are not enough houses in the united states for everybody to live in a house so how do we decide who gets a house and who doesn't get a house well obviously you know in the united states we have a market economy and that's kind of how we do those things but in these other countries you know, you kind of suddenly have, you know, you have those issues. We have a, you know, maybe we have a scarcity of food. How do we decide who gets food and who doesn't get food? How do we decide who gets shelter and who doesn't get shelter? You know, how do we decide these things? And that's, you know, if you look at, you know, certainly uh, geopolitics over, I would say the last century, that's been a huge issue, particularly in our hemisphere, but I think also in other parts of the world as well. Uh, it's just those people who, you know, they're looking up and they go like, geez, these Europeans stole everything and now we got to make a go of it and we don't have anything. So what do we do? You know, we can't, we don't have anything to trade. We, we don't have any money that we can buy, you know, stuff with. So what do we do? And and that's where, you know, just a lot of these, you know, continual revolutions that we see is just about that issue. Well, what do we do when we don't have what we need? And I think one of the things that we're, we're going to see as we continue to look at some of the countries that were under colonized rule, right? Either British rule or France or Germany or Belgium or, you know, even, you know, America, where you look like the Philippines and, and areas like that, is these are these are areas that are, quote unquote, susceptible to communism, right? In the words of America, especially during the time of uh, the Red Scare, as, as these countries, as you said, Scott, don't have a lot of resources that you're going to find left-wing people's movements, mostly farmers, coming together trying to live, trying to survive. And what does the United States do to those people? They demonize them. And, and, and they, you know, I think China's a, a fantastic example. You know, the United States, you know, vilified the nation of China. Um, and, you know, no one's perfect. And I don't, I'm not a believer in Mao. But how much worse did we make that situation or how much worse did the United States make what happened in North Korea by by shutting everybody off? Like these are all areas that were under imperialist rule of other countries. They're devoid of resources. The people come together. 
someone takes advantage of that and they come to rule and the United States shuts them off from, from the world because they're not a capitalist nation. Well, they've seen the effects of capitalism. You know, look at what happened with, with India. I mean, there was a period of time where India was literally ruled by a company. They were ruled by the East Indian Company. They weren't ruled by a government. The East India Company was in charge for more than 100 years. Then the English crown is in charge for another 200 years. They don't get their independence till 1947 in India. They're sent to the front lines in two different world wars that realistically they couldn't give a shit about. Why does India care that Franz Ferdinand was assassinated by the black hand of Serbia and Montenegro? They don't care. You know why? You know, the whole world acts like they cared about what was happening in Germany with, with the Holocaust. Like that's not why World War II started. It started because Hitler broke a lot of agreements from the Treaty of Versailles that they wouldn't occupy the Rhineland again. They wouldn't invade Poland. They didn't do it because they were worried about Jewish people. In fact, the United States turned away Jewish people because they'd already accepted their limit of, of, of immigrants for the year. So it wasn't ever about this big humanitarian effort. It was about, you know, putting somebody in check. And so India didn't care about any bit of that. But they're, they're having to send people to go fight in these wars because they're subject to British crown. Uh, you have managed to open up a wound with a lot of pus coming out there. Um and I was kind of dancing around the uh, the big C word, but I think, and, and I'm, I'm fairly certain, but I, I'm I'm just going to ask, just you know, because I don't want to assume anything. You you read the Communist Manifesto in school, I'm assuming. I didn't read it in school, but I've read it on my own. Okay, so you know, because everybody loves Karl Marx, I think Frederick Engels was a real you know power by no, I'm just kidding. Um, and the whole idea is that when you look at the way communism evolved in a real way in, you know, say China, Russia, and when, you know, we're going to start going looking at Cuba, which is a whole lot closer to home. That's not the communism that Karl Marx had in mind. And so whenever people start looking in, and this gets into the politics of today, because a lot of what he was thinking about, I think, is probably a lot closer to what we would call socialism. I was about to say the same thing. Karl Marx was um, a big believer that the, the workforce should own the means to production, which is, which is essentially socialism. Right. And so where, where he was at is I, and I think his was a theory of history. He, uh, his final thing that he, uh, that he wrote actually, uh, he called Das Kapital and he, I don't think he finished it. I think he was working on it when he died and it was basically a history of the world and the history of the world from his perspective. And, and historians are always talking about how history repeats itself. Well, that was not his theory. His theory was is that we're building towards something. And the, what we're building towards is that moment when there would be really no private ownership, certainly of companies. That, you know, as Tim just outlined, there would be the people that own that. Um, well, in the United States, we short-circuited that during the Great Depression. Uh, in the beginning of the 20th century with the forming of labor unions and also with, you know, the, the breaking of trust. 
and also uh, all the New Deal stuff that, that uh, FDR brings in is that we actually short circuit that process so that we don't fully get down that road. Um, and you know, whether that's you know the wisest thing that could have happened, whether it's the best thing that could have happened, it really certainly deba- uh, depends on your your view of history. But there are other countries that short circuited that in a different way, and definitely not in a good way for the people. And I think we see that in Russia. I think we see that in China. We know that Stalin and Mao are are responsible for the deaths of many more millions of people than Hitler ever was. Um, I mean, we're talking in the tens of millions in both of their cases. Now, they weren't necessarily, you know, bam, bam, put to death. I mean, they were starved. They were uh, jailed. They were, in, in Russia's case, were put in Siberia, where which is not a fun place to be, but it resulted in death. And so I think the problem is, is that when we look at, you know, things from a geopolitical standpoint, certainly right wing, is that when we look at, you know, communism, particularly like when we're looking here in our hemisphere and we're looking at, say, in Cuba, we're looking at, say, Venezuela, we're looking at uh, places that had those kind of similar kind of revolutions. That's not really the communism that certainly Karl Marx had in mind or that I would say even Vladimir Lenin. You know, when he got his start, you know, in the, uh, in the beginnings of the Bolshevik Revolution in Russia, I think, you know, you know, people short circuited that, you know, Stalin certainly did that. Chairman Mao certainly did that. Uh, you're looking at the Castro brothers in Cuba. They certainly did that. And that's, you know, but, but the thing is, is that the point that Tim was making is that when I'm starving, and I don't have anything, and I don't have a place to live, and I don't have clothes to wear. When somebody comes around and sits there and says, "Hey, we're going to give, we're going to share all this equally, and we're all going to get to share," suddenly that sounds like a pretty damn good idea. But you know, here in the United States, we were anti-communism, some good reasons, and maybe some reasons that were not so good. And so we are going to prevent communism from happening. This is what I, I kind of fast forwarded to the 1970s and 80s here, where we're going to secretly fund right-wing movements in these countries because we think that right-wing, a right-wing movement is better than a far left-wing movement when really – this is why when I drew the political spectrum, when I taught government, I drew it as a circle. It's a spear. On one pole, you have limited government. And on the bottom pole, you have totalitarianism. And it doesn't really particularly matter whether you get there from the left-hand side or the right-hand side. If you're living in the, one of those countries, your life is pretty much the same. So you don't give a flip whether you're talking about fascism or communism. It's, it's almost virtually the same thing in terms of your day-to-day life. Like if you're in North Korea, I mean, is your life all that much different than say Cuba or, you know, anywhere else that we might list that's, you know, basically a right, an extreme right or left-hand re- regime? It's not, not really all that much different. No, it's absolutely not. It's, I, you say circle, I say horseshoe, because I think there's that tiny little bit of space in between uh, 
the two poles, but they're they're both very very close to to being the exact same. Right, totalitarianism can either happen from a fascist state or it can happen from a communist state. But either way, it's a totalitarian totalitarian state of government. Um, you know, the difference realistically is how you got there. Who who did you manipulate to take control of everything? Was it the rich and powerful, or was it the you know in the middle class really more than anything, or was it you know the lower class and the farmers who had enough? If you're a communist totalitarian dictator, you use the farmers and the low classes to help you get there. If you're a fascist, you use the middle class and the wealthy by playing them against the poor and uh, immigrants. So at the end of the day, you're still a, a totalitarian dictator either way. Um, you know, but one of the other things too with, with that fight against communism is, is you mentioned it's got the continual funding of, of the right-wing groups and, and right-wing governments. And with that is, you know, some really bad civil, uh, you know, human rights violations. And again, all this links back to colonization. And because these countries have no natural resources, they've been stripped of it, whether it be oil, whether it be rubber in, you know, the Belgian Congo, where, where people literally lost limbs for not working the right way, whether it be timber, uh, you know, whether it be India, it was spices, you know, people literally went to war over nutmeg. At different points in the world's history, because in England, like, people were just tired of that boring ass bland food. They needed something to put on there. And so, all these countries, now newly formed countries with rich, deep cultural histories, um, have, as Scott said, no way to, to support themselves. They go into communism because they're willing to bend, a, bend a, you know, a knee to the Soviet Union to be able to get the military supplies that they need, the food that they need, the help with everything that they need. Okay, we got to govern this way. Sounds good. Well, now the United States completely blocks them off. So what are the choices they have? They continue to stay with the Soviet Union or the United States comes in with the CIA. They find a right-wing death squad to come in and, and commit acts of atrocity to, you know, live in the jungle, to do what they need to do to eliminate the left-wing people that want to take over the government. The right-wing government wins out. And now all of a sudden, what do you have going on in the Philippines where, uh, you know, if you get caught, like they literally shoot people in the streets for drug offenses, like you have license to kill or what's going on in Cambodia or what happened in Darfur or what happened in plenty of places in Africa where right wing military death squads come in and, and commit atrocities because the United States empowered these right wing militias because it was better in their mind than communism winning out. So it's, a, it's at this point where I want to make two salient points because I think a lot of our listeners, and, and rightfully so, are going to sit there and say, okay, this is great, guys, but what does this have to do with me? Okay, I'll give you a couple of things on what this has to do with me and how this directly impacts you. So let's take one isolated country. Just throw it out there. Afghanistan. Now, truthfully, Afghanistan, you know, a lot of people who are you know, anti-United States will point out that you know, the United States really messed that up. The Soviet Union had a pretty good hand in that as well. Um, but here, here's the question for you, Tim. What is their number one export? Oil. Afghanistan? I'd be my guess. I really don't know. I'm going to give you a clue. It's not oil. 
I'm going to mention one word, poppy. Are they, are they drug exporters? Yep, they are the one. That is where your heroin is manufactured. Okay, if we go over here into, uh, obviously not the United States, not Mexico, but if we go into Central and South America, okay, now they do make really good coffee. Uh, I'm not a coffee drinker, but uh, I hear I hear good things. They make really good coffee. But if you talk a country like Colombia, what's their number one export? Cocaine. That would be correct. Now, so here's the effect that it has. If I don't have anything, I'm going to find anything I can do to make money. And so if you strip my land of all the legitimate ways that I could make money and you give me an opportunity to make it in an illegitimate way, well, damn it, that's what I'm going to do. And, but see, the problem is, is that now in the United States, you know, we're in between a rock and a hard place. You know, we're, we want to fight this war on drugs, which, you know, we've, we've talked about before. And uh, we might go a whole episode on it. So I don't want to go too far into depth on this thing. But needless to say, if, you know, would we go in and destroy these crops, you know, as a way to, you know, possibly win the war on, you know, the war on drugs? Maybe. But now if you're destroying their crops, what else do they have? I mean, they have coffee. You know, coffee's nice, but it's not it's not going to get the deal done. Right. So. The second point that I was going to make is that now, if you're trying to clamp down on, say, the poppy fields in Afghanistan, if you're trying to clamp down on the cocaine fields here in Colombia, I don't have any money. I don't have any way to make money. So if I'm living in those countries, what do I do? Well, obviously, I'm going to move somewhere where I can make money. Where would that be? Probably where you make the drugs, Scott. Well, where you make the drugs, or if we've destroyed all the places that make the drugs, and I'm sitting here living in Colombia, and there's no way I could possibly... Oh, so you come to America, then you're coming here. I'm and now you the... hate on immigrants. I'm one of those caravans, you know, coming to invade our country, right? So who caused those caravans... In the first place. Oh, absolutely. It's America. I, that's been my argument for the longest time, is we go down there and we assassinate, like the CIA has effed around in South America for, you know, 50 years, assassinating whoever. They've created a shitstorm down there, politically, socially, economically. People don't want to be there anymore. And then they're like, oh, you can't come here. Yeah, we caused it, but <laughs> stay home. So, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right on that one. But, but let's get back to your point in Afghanistan, right? Uh, I think that was a great pick of, of one to look at because it's a perfect example for the, the bullshit that colonization causes. Um, Afghanistan comes into play originally at about 1839, the start of what became known as the Anglo-Afghan Wars. It was three different conflicts starting in 1839 and lasting all the way until uh, 1919. Great Britain uh, wanted to control that area from their base in, in India and because it was so close to Russia, Russia obviously is trying to become a superpower as well. They're looking to expand, and they wanted to hold that area. Um, of course, across a series of three battles, uh, three different, not battles, but clashes, India, I'm sorry, 
oh, I'm messing this up. Afghanistan does gain somewhat of their independence, right? And they signed the final peace treaty, um, recognizing independence was signed in what is now Pakistan at Raul Wapindi. I'm butchering that. Uh, in 1919, which was eventually amended in 1921. Uh, but before signing that document with the British, they struck up a friendship with the Soviets, essentially some sort of protectorate-type friendship uh, with the newly formed Bolshevik regime of the Soviet Union. And it remained a quote-unquote friendship until 1979 when Soviets invaded Afghanistan and started the Afghanistan War. So then you look at that Afghanistan War where the United States... And again, to fight quote-unquote communism, support the Taliban. The Taliban, led by Osama bin Laden, gets you know help in a proxy war and are essentially being used by the United States to fight the Soviets. That you know, it's it's over, it's done. They cut off funding. You know, go f yourself. We're done with you. And you know, this group takes offense to that. They take offense to the fact that they were just used in a war as a proxy, and then they're dropped off the face of the earth like they don't matter anymore. And now all of a sudden, you've got some terrorism happening against the United States because of what they did in Afghanistan. And yes, the Taliban eventually won, and they and, and you now elevated this individual group of warlords and, and freedom fighters into a position of government. So what else are they going to do? They know that fighting wins. They're going to keep fighting. Um, and, and you're right. I think Afghanistan was a great look at the effects of, colon, of, of the colonizer leaving. Because now here we are. You've got ISIS in charge, which is taking out the Taliban. It's a right. It's a far right wing Muslim religious extremist country, and we have economically destroyed those people's lives over the course of the last 100 years. So there was a phrase that I, that Nixon used that's actually pretty wise. He uh, said, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Um, so if I want to give you a pop culture reference, uh, have you ever seen a movie, Spies Like Us? That's the um, Dan Aykroyd and um, Martin. Uh, Martin. It's Dan Aykroyd, though, is one of them. Yeah. Don Eckroyd and Chevy Chase. There it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen that one. It's the, yeah, where they, they, they're in, they, they actually drop them in Pakistan. And so they, they make their way over to Afghanistan uh, because it is just a comedy of errors. And they're actually in a Taliban fighting camp because they are part of a quote-unquote UN doctors. And so now, you know, Chevy Chase and Dan Eckroyd are, are, are called on to do surgery on, you know, one of the high-ranking officials, and of course he dies because they're not doctors. But that's the Taliban. So if you, I mean, just as recently as the 1980s, and what's funny is, is that I've been uh, supporting a couple of different world history classes this year, which is something I haven't done uh, yet at the campus I'm at. But, you know, finally, I, you know, I told the kids, you know, especially when we got to the 1990s, I said, kids, that's the stuff that happened in my lifetime. I remember this stuff. And so, you know, we I remember, you know, for instance, we talked about, say, Bosnia and things that were going on there. But see, here's the funny thing, and this is something that I want, uh, I want everybody to listen to what is happening with the Taliban 
I want you to remember what we're talking about here. Because the thing is, is when people talk about why do the terrorists hate us, they just give the simplistic, oh, they just don't like us because we have freedom. Bullshit. They have very good reasons for not liking us. So I want you to remember what I just said, what we both said about the Taliban. And I want you to remember a group called the Kurds. Now, what happened with the Kurds, Tim? They had a genocide committed against them, I believe, by the nation of Turkey. And why did that happen, Tim? I believe it was religious, religious based, if I remember correctly. Well, you're forgetting one kind of important part of that discussion, and that is because that we had troops there that protected the Kurds because we knew at least before our former president went into office, we knew the Turks would do that the first opportunity they got. And see, the Kurds, they helped us going all the way back to World War II. And so what did they get in exchange for helping us through all these different conflicts that we had? That got dropped in the grease, just like the Taliban did when we abandoned them back in the 1980s. So what happened with the Taliban? Tim just told you, some have been Laden. So now all of a sudden, they're terrorists or we're, they're fighting with other terrorists and whoever wins is still a terrorist. Well, I don't know that we're going to want to, you know, to know what the Kurds think of us from now on and so what you're doing is you're making enemies around the world and what's hard is that from a practical standpoint i don't know if there's any reasonable logical way to get out of these situations once you put yourself in them uh, I mean, it's the same thing we had with Iraq. Uh, you know, we've had it with the war in Afghanistan here in the 21st century. When do you get out? How do you get out? Can you even get out? Um, it's just, you know, it's, it's an impossible dilemma because the moment you get out, you leave that power vacuum and you, you have nothing there. Something has to take power. Someone has to take power. And it's usually not who you want. But when you leave, I mean, you're, you know, beggars can't be choosers and you're going to get what you're going to get. Yeah, absolutely. And then when you combine it with the fact that most times the, the country in charge have been putting down any sort of good quality leadership or, you know, dissent in the ranks from within. So if, if you had a good quality person who would have been a good leader, would have stepped up, they were probably executed somewhere down the line. And you had people who were put in charge for 200 straight years who were just loyal to the crown. They didn't care about their people because they got a nice palace to live in and they were well taken care of. And whatever happened to the people happened. And so the, the, the best candidates for these jobs weren't available. You know, you the people with the best intentions for the actual people that they represented, you know, weren't available anymore. And, and when that happens... You've got people with ulterior motives who will, you know, prey on the needs of the entire country to rise, the, you know, to elevate themselves to power. And and you saw it with with um, Kim Jong Il or Kim Jong uh, Kim Jong Sun, pardon me, the the original before Kim Jong Un then 
I'm sorry, Kim Jong-un, Kim Jong-il, then Kim Jong-un. Um, but Kim Jong-un, you know, Korea was treated horribly by the nation of Japan. Was was treated in in the worst way you can imagine by the by the nation of Japan, and they were Japan looked down on Korea as, as you know the same way that Trump looks down on South America, um, and, and and were were subjected to, to hundreds of years of, of Japanese imperialism in, in Korea. So when, when they had their opportunity for freedom, they didn't have much left, and 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 that's why you know the Kim family was able to paint the picture that they painted. They were able to paint themselves as saviors and heroes and gave the, the Korean people freedom. Um, and now here and now here we are where they're excommunicated from the world. And, you know, and, and what, what I, I just, I, I think you're right. You can't back yourself out of these corners, Scott, because once you've created these, like you've created awful scenarios with, long, long lasting consequences, and then you just go, I'm out. There's there's no there's very few times where it goes well. And and even when it does, it's typically violent. Like I it could have gone well in Haiti if the rest of the world doesn't shun them. You know, I, I think Haiti would have been a great example of what could happen if, if everybody else isn't scared of of their slaves killing their masters and doing the same thing in America or you know, in the Caribbean or things like that. And so it's sad to say America is probably the most successful of the former colonies because I don't think we're, I don't think we're the great country that people make us out to be. We've got plenty of, plenty of problems. And the standard of life here is, it's no better than Canada or, or Germany or any of the other, you know, Britain or countries in the European Union. We're no different. We have the same freedoms. It's It's just... Um, we've, we've got the greatest PR team in the history of the world. So you're kind of to tie all this in a nice bow for everybody. Um, I think a lot of, uh, the United States has backed a lot of people in a lot of different places. Vietnam's another situation that comes immediately to mind. And that's where, you know, the people we have backed, and I don't know if this was purposeful or not, cause I, um, I haven't studied history to this degree, but a lot of the people that we backed were just, you know, you know let's say a few sandwiches shy of a full picnic. Uh, and and, I, and uh, what I'm guessing is, is probably a situation where we felt like we could control them. But the point is, is that once you leave, if, they can't, you know, stand on their own with us there. They're not going to be able to stand on their own with us gone. And so, obviously, I mean, that's a huge deal in Afghanistan. Whoever, you know, whatever government we prepped up was just, you know, completely, you know, completely woeful, not able to stand up on their own. So, where, where does this, where do we all, you know, intersect here with the history and with everything that's happening now? Is that I think you understand that, uh, History is a big cause and effect, and all these things have happened to all these different parts of the world. And you don't just kind of wake up one day and go, "Oh, we're independent now. We're happy. We got everything we want." No, you had your resources stolen. You were never able to self-govern like you know the colonists were in the uh, in, in you know 
particularly here in the United States, but also uh, Canada as well. Uh, I mean, they were self-governing as well, and, and they, for the most part, have done well for themselves as well. Australia, kind of the same. So what? where do we go from here? And that's kind of, and I think the very first very first thing we have to do is we have to acknowledge, okay, this has happened. This has been our role in this. We can't erase what happened before. But what we can do is kind of move forward now. Uh, we can acknowledge that something's happened. So maybe that's the first step. You know, acknowledging our role and what the way things these happened, and then maybe then you know we can kind of start building relationships and and maybe you know helping out these countries in real legitimate ways. I think in a vacuum, you're absolutely right. You know that is what should happen. I also think that it's fantasy land to think that it ever will happen. You know, we live in a country that won't even admit that 200 years of chattel slavery set the black population back and that everything is just fine now. Uh, you know, we won't admit to, to redlining or, or voter suppression or any of the things that we do to, to hold the, the, you know, the, the African-American community back today. I can't imagine any of our leaders being able to say, yes, here's the causes of what we did in South. Here's, here's what the Dulles brothers did in South America. Here's what it caused. And we're officially sorry. And because of that, we're going to let in more immigrants. Like, I, I can't ever see that happening. But I, I think the way that it stops is you've got to stop giving people like the Dulles brothers, like Henry Kissinger, so much power. You know, like these guys were able to do so much without a single vote ever putting them in charge of anything. No one voted Henry Kissinger into any position. And look how long he was in the ear of, of top people. No one, no one put Alan Dulles in charge by a vote. But here's this guy leading overthrows of, of governments in the CIA for 20 years as, as someone in the CIA. So it's these positions of, of so much secrecy that happens behind closed doors have to stop. That's the biggest issue is... You can't keep going in and overthrowing other people's governments. Like that's, there are obviously rare cases, you know, Saddam, I guess, being one of them. But at the end of the day, we, we've got to stop screwing around in, in the geopolitical world and, and, and stop. Like that's, that's what has to happen. We have to stop. Yeah, I, I think sadly you're correct on all of that. I, I think that. I, I say these things, but I realize that that's not going to happen. Uh, but what we need to realize is that, you know, it's kind of funny you mentioned Saddam. Gee, who was it that put Saddam in power? What are, who, who could have done that? But that oh, oh, that was us. <laughs> so, you know, even, you know, CIA trained and, and, you know, given stuff because why? Well, we wanted somebody to stand up to Iran. And now, you know, Oh, he stood up to Iran, and then some. Well, then, you know, we removed, and it's funny thing is you remove him, and he was actually executed on our daughter's birthday, on the day of her birth. So, you know, happy birthday, Anne. There you go. We killed some. You know, one for one trade in the world. Yes. So, yeah, and, and, and that's what people don't realize is that, you know, 
taking over government sounds like a wonderful idea. It really does until you realize, shit, somebody's got to be in control. We killed this person. Who's going to take control after them? And will they be worse? And it usually, in a lot of cases, yeah, it's worse. Uh, and so Tom kind of mentioned that, you know, maybe we shouldn't be allowing so many scumbags, you know, to have power, especially when they're unelected, which kind of reminds me that, you know, we, we've had had quite a few scumbags this week. And I know, uh, I know Tim and I are kind of showing one, but I'm just going to kind of let him lead off with that scumbag and then we'll, we'll kind of toss that around. Yeah, so I'll, I'll take the lead on that one there, Scott. Is, is this week CNN had Donald J. Trump on for a, call it a town hall meeting. And even at, at first glance, it just, it was an awful, awful thing to do. There's no reason to give voice on a national level to the level of conspiracy theories that Donald Trump put out there that night. But as the news trickled out on this event, it became worse and worse as the crowd was put together of, of pro-MAGA people. They were told they can't do anything other than applaud. They were prompted when to applaud. And it was essentially, it was like the filming of an episode of Full House in 1992 where they put an applause sign up and people cheered for Donald. I don't understand it. You know, I, I've never been someone who enjoyed CNN. I don't like most national news. If I am to watch something, it's going to be MSNBC. But even then, I don't really enjoy that because they're, they're too pro-capitalist for me. But I've never really enjoyed CNN. But I've always assumed CNN was the middle left, in their mind at least. In their mind, they were mid-left. I don't think that they actually are, but I always thought that that's what they were serving. And then, and then I always thought that, in again, this is all in their mind that, and MSNBC really does serve liberals. I I will agree with that. Um, but to have Donald Trump on was already something that didn't make sense to me. Why would you give him this this access to a different audience? And then on top of it, why would you cram it full of pro-Trump people to make it like not even real? Why would you? I understand that Trump is a madman with a giant ego who acquires such things. Then why do do business with that? And the answer is it's for ratings. And it's disgusting that CNN, which I, again, I don't love it. But that you're willing to debase yourself to that level for one good night of ratings, it's freaking gross. You know what? Um, I wholeheartedly endorse uh, your biggest uh, scumbag. In fact, I was going to, you know, to co-sign with you, except you know, we've been contractually obligated to give you at least two scumbags a week. And so we, we're going to fulfill that promise. And I've and I've said, and I said this on the show, and I maintain it. I will never consider Donald Trump a scumbag because, in order for you to be a scumbag, you need to be a human being. And I don't know that he is. Um, I think that what he is really is a mirror. And some of our politicians have used a lot more 
eloquent language than what I'm able to come up with. Uh, Abraham Lincoln talked about the better angels of our nature and that, you know, great politicians are able to summon that within us, that we are able to be the best versions of ourselves whenever uh, we have a great politician amongst us. Donald Trump has made us all worse. Every single one of us are worse. Even if we hate his guts, we're worse. I mean, you think about it. How many fights have we had with family or friends who may no longer be friends or family who become estranged over Donald Trump? So where does CNN go? Well, and I watched one clip from this, and I watched one clip where the moderator basically said, listen, 60 different judges said this was a fair election. Your Republican officials said this was a fair election. Will you here sit here and admit that this was a fair election? No, and he's never going to. He can't at this point. Because, I mean, it, it's just, it's way, it, it's way too far down the road. He can't do these things. And the thing is, is that if CNN is going to come out and they're going to go like, well, we thought he'd be presidential. Come on. Who are we trying to kid here? And so the thing is, is that, yeah, he's the GOP front runner. That's true. That's newsworthy on some level. However, we have to do better. And, and kind of where, where Tim was going with where CNN is positioning themselves, they're in a no-win situation. They cannot go to the right as far as Fox News, OAN, or Newsmax. They can't. They can't get there. They can't go as far to the left as MSNBC. And as Tim pointed out, MSNBC really isn't all that far left. But they can't get there. They don't have the credibility to get there. I mean, maybe over years they could. So what CNN's best, what their best path forward would have been being neutral, just reporting the news. Here's what's happening. They can't do that anymore. They, they, they did this, and they got 3.3 million viewers. Congratulations to them. You know what happened to them in the next night where they were uh, in the next, you know, primetime viewing? They finished fourth. They finished behind MSNBC. They finished behind Fox. They finished behind Newsmax. They finished fourth. So this, you know, if they would think this move is going to get, you know, MAGAs to fall in love with CNN, they're delusional. It is not going to get them anywhere. And to me, we, we all know, and, and we should know where Donald Trump is nowadays. We know who he is. We know what he is. We know what he's going to say because he's been saying the same thing since the day after they called the election in 2020. Folks, this is 2023. I mean, what are we doing? So, yeah, I completely co-sign your, uh, your pick of CNN. Thank you, Scott. I appreciate the co-sign. Who do you got for us this week? 
Okay, so several states, and I'm assuming Texas is not that far behind. So GOP legislatures, what what they're going to do, and, and, and I think we have an honorable mention scumbag that you're probably going to want to bring up, and, and we can talk about that honorable mention scumbag here in a minute. But here's what the newest thing for state legislatures. What they're going to do is they're going to remove the no-fault divorce. So what does this mean? Right. Let's 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 look at what this means. Right. So husband and wife are going to get divorced. Okay. What happens in every state of the union until this passes is that you can cite reconcilable differences. Uh, You can cite anything, you know, any kind of phrasing that you want to. But whenever you eliminate the no-fault divorce, what there's what the state is going to say is we're not going to recognize your divorce unless you can provide proof that either A, the other party was being, uh, was uh, participating in fidelity, or B, that they were abusive in some way. And you would have to prove that. You can't just say it. I mean, Donald Trump can say that in a town hall meeting, but no, 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 that's not going to work for the average Joe or Joanne. Now, let's look at how this how this impacts and why they're doing this. For people who who thought like, oh, well, we wanted you know pro life because we're against abortion, and once they get abortion made illegal, they're just going to stop because that's really all. Really. Do y'all really, really think this? It's not too long ago. In fact, maybe just barely outside of my lifetime, technically, where women were not allowed to own a home by themselves. They were not allowed to have a credit card in their own name without you know their husband co-signing it or whatever. They were not allowed to do these things. Uh, because we wanted to subjugate women. We wanted to, men wanted to be in control of women. Now, when you do the no-fault divorce, it sounds like you're sticking it to women. But in reality, you're sticking it to men too. You know, I think, you know, Tim and I are lucky that we have, you know, lovely wives who are, who are great people, but some people aren't that lucky. Some people have horrible spouses. Maybe they didn't cheat on them. Maybe they weren't verbally or physically abusive. But maybe they're just scumbags. And if you're going to take away our rights to, you know, dissolve a marriage with a scumbag, there's just generally a scumbag, not, not specific scumbaggery, but that we have to outline in the court of law. But maybe they're just not a nice person. Maybe we found out they voted for Donald Trump and said, no, what? That's it. We're done. <laughs> Whatever the case may be. But, and, and I know, and Tim knows, and we all know this is coming to Texas. It's not in Texas right now, but the Texas legislature is taking notes and they're going to do this. They're they're You know, they're going to do this. It's, it's absolutely coming to Texas. So they're going to use it for, you know, Christian-based values and, and the nuclear, but you're going to hear all the 
the big code words come out when they, when they try and pass this bad boy to you, how it's it's you know good for the nuclear family and it's good for family values and yada 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 and then you're gonna find out the guy who passed it has had a mistress for 25 years leading on the side of town he's got her put up in an apartment and yeah he kept his family together as well as the other one that he's fathering as well in that apartment and it's just we're gonna see it it's absolutely coming and and they are they are scumbags and it's it's crazy the the rights that we're seeing walked back or taken back here in, in the last two or three years. And, and, and women have really taken it on the chin, you know, and, and the idea that you've lost bodily autonomy, the idea that, you know, you, you can't say that, like, I found out my husband stormed the Capitol on January 6th and he's an oath keeper and he's been hiding that from me and I don't want to be a part of that anymore. <laughs> Too bad. You can't do that anymore. Um, it's... It's fucked up, man. It really, really is. We we're not far away from being like a truly just fascist country. We're we are a far right country as it is, and if you didn't know that we were Christian and that ISIS was Muslim, like you just said the rules based on like religion. You just said just religion instead of Christian or Muslim. That shit lines up so hard. It's not even, it's not even funny. You know, the GOP, they're just a Christian version of ISIS. They really, really are. It's, it's, it's sickening. Okay. Now, Tim, we need to be a little bit more magnanimous. We do let our women drive and we don't make them cover, you know, their heads yet. Not there yet. We're letting them work. We're letting them go to school. Come on. I mean, we're, we're nice guys here in, in the United States. Okay, I, I know you had a uh, a bonus scumbag for us, so why don't you lay it on us? I did. Good old, uh, you know, friend of the pod, fan favorite, big Ron, Ron, Ronnie D. Santis, Ron DeSantis, um, came out and basically he's slashing majors at state-funded colleges to what he calls you know, the basics, things that will actually help kids in life. If you want to get one of those foo-foo majors, you can go to Yale or Harvard or somewhere else out of state. Like that is his thought process. God forbid you foster any level of creativity within your, your young people. Like you want every single person to be a slave to the machine, to get an accounting degree, to get a business management degree, to get something like that, so you can go work in a big corporation, be saddled with college debt, be stuck with no other force to get health care besides um, your employer. That's the system that they set up. You want to talk about we want to talk about health care. You know, here's scumbag number three for you this week, Scott. Um, part of my job change, I had to go out into the open marketplace to get health care. Did you know that even though my wife has group coverage through the school district? I'm being denied coverage because she's pregnant and I have, a, I have a child coming. They won't cover an expected father because, God forbid, something happens to my baby. They don't want to have to pay for that. Are you fucking kidding me? I'm healthy. I'm ready to go. I have money. I'm trying to do what I'm supposed to do, get insurance. My wife already has insurance. I looked into adding myself onto that, but they want $800 a month for me to be on her plan. So I go to the open marketplace. I can't get insurance because I'm going to have a baby. I'm not the one pushing it out. 
Oh, Tim, you, you brought up the old bugaboo of health insurance again. Uh, what are you doing? I don't want to get too into it. I'm just saying they're, they're uh, on this week. Okay, so uh, your boy Ronnie D. Here's what I immediately thought of when I thought of Ronnie D. And I, I thought this was where you might have been going, but, you know, I, I just want to throw this out there. Uh, we're watching the news, and you've been watching uh, them show pictures and video of school libraries with zero books. Okay, so what's happening in Florida? Well, they're taking all of the books off the shelf because old, old Ronnie D, he needs to approve of the books that you know kids can actually be able to read. And what's and I don't know. Did you ever watch um, any? I know you didn't watch it at the time because you obviously weren't born yet. But uh, have you watched reruns of WKRP? No, I didn't. Okay. Uh, so WKRP in Cincinnati is you know is a, basically a comedy about this horrible, uh, horrible radio station. But the funny thing happens when religious people are protesting the fact that they're you know they're programming rock and roll and so they go into uh, uh mr carlson who's the you know kind of a he's the head of the, the station but he's you know they kind of bill him as a dumb guy but he's really not all that dumb and in this episode they give him a list of songs that their group has all decided that they don't want to allow them to play and that if they were to be a station that is going to be approved by this group, then, you know, they need to stop playing these songs. So Carlson kind of plays along for a while because he's a Christian too. And so they stop playing these songs and there's not that many on the list to begin with. I mean, it's like maybe five or six really bad songs. I mean, it, it can't be all that bad, right? Well, the guy comes back with another list of songs. So now your, your song list is maybe 20 or 30. And so now the DJs, you know, particularly Johnny Fever, uh, he is, you know, he's up in arms about, you know, and, and uh, the guy that's actually the, the, the program manager of the station is up in arms about this. This is terrible. You know, then Carlson said, no, no, this is a good group of people. They're fine. So Dr. Johnny fever prints out and he, he's another character who, you know, they make him out to be dumb, but he's really not so dumb. He prints out or he types out old fashioned way of a typewriter, the lyrics to imagine. And Carlson comes and meets the head of this group. And just hands over the lyrics to imagine. And he sits there and says, would y'all allow this song to be played on the radio? And he's reading over it. He says, this is, this is talking about no religion. It's talking about communism. It's talking, you know, no government, no God, no, no countries. No, no, no. We, we can't allow this to be played. And so Carlson points out and says, well, no, it doesn't say it says imagine that and then finally it dawned on carlson he says you made that decision one man made that decision that this song cannot be played 
And then that's when, you know, Carlson said, okay, we're going to play all the songs. We're not going to listen to you anymore. You can, um, you can protest all you want. Uh, we're not going to turn our back around. And that's what kind of reminds me of all of these conservative movements. Whenever, you know, we t- start talking about banning certain books, you know, from school libraries, because at first it's not a lot. You know, it's just a few titles. These are books that, you know, no class is going to read as a class. These are just books that, you know, maybe one or two kids might check out at some point. And it's not a big deal if we just take these off the shelves. But then all of a sudden, you know, two or three books turns into nine or ten books. Turns into 20 or 30 books. Then all of a sudden... We're not going to allow anybody to read these all these books, uh, and so, and I and I invite Tim to go watch that episode of WKRP I'm referencing. Um, I can't remember the exact uh, season or uh, the name of the episode, but I, I'll uh, I'll probably shoot him some show notes when we get done with this, and so he can view it for himself. But it's a very powerful episode of WKRP, and it really kind of shows you where these right-wing people are coming from and where censorship goes. And so, yeah, these schools in Florida, there are no books on the shelves. Because at this point, they're just like, we don't know what you're going to allow us to have, so we're going to take them all off, and we're just going to let you approve them one by one. And I think they're making a point. And I think it's a very powerful point, you know, if you're able to view those pictures. So, after that heavy note, uh, I think we've come kind of coming to the end where we reached the the part of the programming where we have some stupid people. So, Tim, who are some stupid people we had this week? Man, Scott, the uh, I feel like at this point the only reason I I hop on Twitter anymore is to find like stupid tweets like i really i don't enjoy being on twitter as much as i used to but uh still finding some good ones out there we've had a tweet from this guy before his name is dan bon bon uh bongino he was a former fox host who just got fired um but he tweets out biden is a disgrace to humankind and an embarrassment to the human race in every respect stephen king responds yes that's stephen king Yes, but he's got a real job, not a podcast. As a burn on Dan Bongino, because he just got fired. Then Dan Bongino responds to Stephen King. Again, yes, that fucking Stephen King. Yeah, you're right. Millions of listeners a day on a podcast while you're watching porn in your mama's basement, yearning for the days that people actually gave a shit about your dumbass. Nice comeback dipshit. Get a job, loser. So, unemployed Dan Bongino telling multi-millions of books selling author Stephen King to get a job was uh, was probably the highlight of Twitter this week for me. I think I sent you a couple, and I'm trying you, you to sent me a few for sure. I was trying to find some of them because you know I, there was at least one or two, but you know that's kind of why I'm. I try, and, I, try and, I try and kind of save these because, you know, sometimes I, I, I guess you know, part of my problem is I forget idiocy. Um, so here was one that you sent me from Sean Farash. Happy Mother's Day. Everyone alive today was born from my mother, 
who is, was a woman. The left hates Mother's Day because they hate motherly women, but we love the moms. Yeah, I love it when people speak for me. I absolutely, absolutely love it. Okay, Tub. Uh, Hang on, you got another one you sent. You sent me a few. Yeah, yeah, okay. A lawsuit has uncovered that elected Arkansas prosecutor Jana Bradford helped her pedophile uncle try to get a pardon from the governor for his sex crime conviction, used her legal skills to assist him, and knew he was around children and did not support it. Way to go, Jana. Way to go. Well, you know, what's so funny, what's so funny about this is that, you know how we're the groomers of children. Right. Right. So yeah, that, that's, that's what I was thinking when I, when I sent that little tweet. Here's the last one you sent me that I really liked. Um, One of our congressmen basically in explaining how the United States had propped up Mexico's and so much said without the people of America, Mexico would be eating cat food out of a can in a tent behind an Outback Steakhouse. So way to go. That's my wife. That's my wife, Senator, you're talking about. That's Senator Kennedy, I think. Mm -hmm. Uh, from Louisiana, uh, yeah, I, one of the ones that you sent me, Scott. Yeah, I give it. I, 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 I often give her a hard time for some of the, uh, yeah, because Louisiana, the the old expression is, is that they like their politics like they, they like their rice dirty. Uh, so you know, it gets it. it yeah, Kennedy is really good for some cringeworthy, uh, cringeworthy statements along the way, but. Uh, we have reached the end of another great political episode. Uh, I want to thank the listeners for enduring another one of our shows. Hopefully you've enjoyed something. Please join in the fun. Please like us on Facebook. Find us on Twitter. Make a comment. You know, Let us know what you're thinking. Uh, let us know you're out there. Uh, if you like the show, give us a great rating. If you don't like the show, Tell us why, you know, let, let us, you know, let us try to improve uh, as we keep uh, marching this down. So, uh, so Tim, where can the folks find you on Twitter since we were inviting them to interact with us on Twitter? So I'm at Tim underscore Costello 10 uh, on Twitter. And again, be sure to like our Facebook page, the Snaphook podcast on Twitter. I want to drop one quick um, plug here for a new show that I'm watching. It's called The Plumbers. It is on HBO. It's Woody Harrelson. Um, and they are, it is a look at the, the people in the uh, committee to reelect the president Nixon as they looked to infiltrate Watergate. It is historically accurate, but it's also freaking hilarious. So is he, um, is he playing E. Howard Hunt? Yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I kind of figured that was. I, I yeah, I've seen the promos for that, and it, it does look interesting. I will I'm say three, that. I'm the, I've watched the first three episodes so far, and um, I'm really liking it. It's it's a pretty damn good show, and it's it's. At, I mean, one of the guys like they invite Hunt over for dinner, and it looks like he's going to put on music, and it's it's fucking Hitler speaking at an event. Like he has a record of Hitler speeches, and he's just like sitting there like. <laughs> this down and he's like no i i enjoy listening to that it was i mean it's it's fantastic it is unbelievably hilarious all right so pay off you could find me on twitter 
at S Barzilla. I also write for Juanita Jean's Beauty Salon under an assumed name. And I write Houston, Texas commentary at Battle Red Blog. Okay, thank you all so much for joining us this week. We hope you have a great rest of the week. And we'll see you next time. That's all we've got for you here on the Snap Hook. Be sure to tune in tomorrow for our sports edition as we continue to move you from right to left. We'll see everybody next week. Thank you for tuning in to the Snap Hook and making Scott and I a part of your week. Wanted to recognize that our intro song is called Energetic Indie Rock by Alex Grohl, and this outro music is Good Vibe by Twisterium. We appreciate everyone who tunes in each and every week and is part of the Snaphook movement. We look forward to seeing you next week on the Snaphook.